Welcome everyone to the Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me is a guy so dedicated to the show that he'll wake up in the middle of any surgery just to give some pizzazz on screen. It's Pete. Hello, Pete. Do I look that nervous? The Daredevil Podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 313, the season three finale, A New Napkin, is sponsored by Paige, Murdoch, and Nelson. Still way more stable than Jessica Jones. Well, Pete, here we are at the end of the season, but we, of course, want to remind our listeners that we will be back in a couple days' time looking back at the entire series as a whole. So the Daredevil Season 3 discussion not over, even as we begin talking about the end. It is not. Uh, let's hope, too, that there'll be no uh, Friday cancellation situation with uh, Daredevil the way there was a couple Fridays in October with uh, Iron Fist and Luke Cage. Indeed, Pete. And we want to, of course, thank everybody who's been with us all season. And a reminder that the party will, of course, continue on our pop culture podcast feed talking Star Trek Discovery, God Friended Me, uh, anticipating all those 2019 Marvel movies, including Untitled Avengers 4, etc. Captain Marvel, getting wet, ready for some runaways, Matt. All 13, three extra this year. Season 2 episodes dropping on December 21st. And of course, like everything else in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Fantastic Geek is the only podcast to bring it to you all one more outburst and i'll hold you in contempt let's enter the evidence into the record and give the devil his due the episode opens with a montage of daredevil and fisk with fake news declaring daredevil's the problem and karen page lock her up fisk has plans for some of the city's biggest wigs on the rooftop, though, Daredevil has Felix Manning. What is Fisk planning? Hey, that rhymes. Turns out he's planning a wedding. It's been planned for months, and it'll make Hell's Kitchen love him again. In his dressing room, Fisk expounds upon his love with Vanessa. But is that love real, he asks? Does he deserve her? Vanessa says we're all broken and meant to be with the person whose broken pieces fit yours. But can Daredevil be stopped to kill Fisk? Manning says no, and gets thrown over the rooftop with a rope stopping him. Manning can talk about the deaths of Wynne and Nadim, but who's Julie Barnes? The credits show that the episode is written by showrunner Eric Olson and directed by Sam Miller, veteran of an episode of Luke Cage in 2016, more recently Relic, that's with a K, and farther in the past, 10 episodes of Luther. Back to the episode, the next morning, Manning is found by Detective Mahoney and EMTs. He says he tripped off the roof. Oopsie. He's taken away, and Mahoney reflects to Foggy on going from almost locking up Fisk to telling Seema Nadim that her husband was dead. Foggy has information to share, too. He believes someone will try and murder Fisk today. Mahoney isn't overly concerned, though he's reminded that all the dirty FBI agents will then slink away. Foggy asks for time to slow down you-know-who. Mahoney promises the C-team to add some protection. At FBI HQ, 
Ray's old boss pins the murder of Wynne on Nadim, who was killed resisting arrest. Karen is watching the news as Foggy arrives. They hope Matt won't kill Fisk. Or will? Karen wonders if it's the only way. Foggy sees the glass half full. The real Matt returned and he can't be allowed to cross the line. Foggy takes a call. The FBI wants him. He's going down there despite it possibly being a trap. At FBI HQ, Dex is there greeting Foggy. He's not in danger. He'll be a very useful district attorney. Wink, wink. He's there because he was friends, er, employed by Ray Nadim. Dex brings him to Mrs. Nadim, who wants to apologize and cooperate. Seema and Foggy are left alone. She verbally shares her shame, but writes on a legal pad that they are listening. She wants to save Sammy. It was Ray's idea in his video. Foggy is unaware of the video, which is on her phone. Foggy just takes her phone, which apparently has neither touch ID nor face ID. In the hall, Dex gets a call from Felix Manning, or rather, Manning's phone. It's Matt, and he'll be coming soon. Matt asks if Dex enjoyed killing birdies. Birdies? You know, the ones referenced in Dr. Mercer's tape. Would Mercer be disappointed in Dex? Matt also says Fisk had Julie killed, so Fisk could become the new North Star. Does Dex have free time? Check out 16 Canal Place. Back at Fogwell's gym, Foggy and Karen watch Ray's video, particularly his dying declaration sworn to be truthful. He talks about being coerced to extort the criminal underbelly, a series of agents led by Tammy Hatley, who also killed Wynn. The worst crime? He drove Point Dexter, dressed as Daredevil, to the church, and he let it happen anyway, let the murder of Father Paul Lantham happen. He says his goodbyes to Seema and, video over, Karen and Foggy are gobsmacked. It's not admissible, but a dying declaration actually is admissible in court. That night, at 16 Canal Place, Dex enters. Matt listens from above. In an industrial freezer, Dex finds two bodies. No, three. The third being that of Julie. Matt calls, reminding Dex that they both know Fisk killed her. Who knew about her? Got her the job at the hotel. Why is Matt sharing this? Because Fisk doesn't deserve a life of happily ever after, does he? Matt listens from across the way as the rogues gallery makes their way to the hotel. At the bulletin, Karen walks in, sharing the Nadim video with Allison. Things are going to get better. In the hotel garage, Daredevil Dex arrives, talking to Agent Lim. Julie's frozen body is next to him. A few moments later, Matt finds the SUV, but no Dex. On the hotel roof, the Cardinal marries Fisk and Vanessa. They kiss the camera afar at first, then quite close. A few moments later, Mr. and Mrs. Fisk are introduced at the reception. They head to the dance floor, and phone cameras are on them. But then everyone is watching the Nadim video. Fisk is flustered, but Vanessa counsels he show them nothing bothers him. In the stairwell, Daredevil Matt finds agents down, but Daredevil Dex is in the reception, toasting Fisk, wishing him the best. Dex throws the mic at Fisk, but Matt stops it with a tray. The two Daredevils fight as the Fisks make their way to the penthouse. He wants to fight, she wants to run. In the ballroom, more agents and security are taken down. Hatley is shot in the side, then Dex is out of bullets and knocks her out and continues. In the monitor room, Matt takes out the goons and asks the elevators be shut down. Then he confronts Fisk. Showdown time. The fight is brutal. 
This might not be super-powered Fisk from the comics, but he can still throw quite a punch. Vanessa is set to run, but Dex is at the door. Suddenly, Fisk is attacking Dex quite ably. Then Matt. It's a three-sided fight with Vanessa hiding in the corner. Ultimately, Fisk seems to break Dex's back, and then it's Daredevil and Kingpin fighting. Vanessa watches her love get beaten, Fisk's blood on the painting. Matt goes in for the kill, but can't do it. Fisk promises no escape for Karen or Foggy or Matt, but still Matt won't do it. Matt says Fisk is going to prison. He's staying in prison, and Fisk won't touch anyone. Or else Matt can prove Vanessa ordered the death of Nadim. Fisk is ready to make a deal with the Daredevil. The secrets shall be kept. Matt leaves, and Mahoney and Swat enter. Fisk is under arrest, and Dex, not the real Daredevil, can't move. In the hotel entrance, conspirators like Hatley are taken out, as is Fisk and Vanessa. They don't get their goodbye moment. Foggy and Karen wonder if Matt shouldn't be here, but from above, he is. At the church, Sister Maggie sees a cleaned-up Matt arrive. He wishes he could change his last interaction with Lantum. They talk about whether forgiveness is possible, about Lantum saying God's plan is a beautiful tapestry. Matt has realized that his life as Daredevil has caused countless people to live. Maybe it's all part of God's plan. Lantham provided guidance. Will she do that for Matt now? She says helping is her calling. At Lantham's funeral, Matt takes the altar to speak. He notes that the late father welcomed all, Catholic or not. Lantham asked all to think about how to give to the community. Father Lantham's great enemy was fear. Matt was taught to try and become a man without fear. Afterwards, Matt tells Karen that she showed him to see the truth too. They're head in the attempt to do more good than bad. Foggy walks by and meets up with Marcy. She was hoping to be married to a DA, but she's ready for him to return to the firm. Or not, if that's his choice. He walks to DA Tower's press conference and publicly drops out of the election. At the wake at Nelson Meets, Mom and Dad are moving to Tampa, and Theo just needs to pay back the loan and he'll be in the clear. Karen tells Foggy and Matt that Hatley has flipped and the FBI is getting cleaned out. They decide Fisk's threat is over, and Matt's going to move into his old apartment, move back into being Matt Murdock. The solution? A new napkin. Hey, like the title. Foggy writes down Nelson, Murdock, and Paige. She can be their investigator. She's more reliable than Jessica Jones. To Nelson, Murdoch, and Page, or Page, Nelson, and Murdoch. Meanwhile, in an operating room, they're trying to patch Dex back together. These are pulverized vertebrae. They're trying to keep him fixed. Dex opens his eyes. Bullseyes in them? Objection, Your Honor. He's badgering the witness. Well, what do you want me to give him a testimonial dinner? Who brought the heat into Hell's Kitchen in this episode? Pete, no question, of course, we start with Fisk, the mastermind behind all of this. And Pete, one line of dialogue in particular caught my ear, the notion that the wedding has been planned for months. And it was kind of this notion of, wow, I know Fisk is detailed, but, you know, the idea that all of this has come together for a wedding that he's been working on since before he got out of prison. Yeah, whoever he pays to do his planning, who's not Felix Manning, who gets dangled off the uh, the building here at the beginning of the episode, sure knows how to keep from leaks and keep their mouths shut. Um, but, you know, from Jump Street in this episode, you see him in the white and then you're like, wait, 
this is a little more ornate. Oh, they're doing it. They're doing it. Uh, they're they're uh, marrying him off in this episode. And um, yeah, I mean, not completely expected, but completely within character. And, um, you know, the the number of times that it's foreshadowed the, the bloody conflict uh, by episodes and, you know, that Vanessa picks out the red rose that, um, you know, all of the blood, the blood all over the painting, uh, rabbit in a snowstorm, all of this uh, completely stains my there, there were several laugh out loud moments of this episode only because I think it's darkly humorous, you know, like when uh, Dex pulls up with Julie in the car and says, this is Agent Lim, one of the good ones. OK, clearly out of his mind, but um, maybe no bigger laugh out loud moment when after Daredevil has beaten Fisk bloody and has uh, stopped short of killing him when he backs off and then Fisk says, this was the happiest day of my life. <laughs> I mean, there's such pathos to the character. I think that there's an argument to be made that we understand Fisk more completely maybe than Daredevil. Um, debatable, but I think that certainly the two are neck and neck. And the notion that we don't want to root for him but feel compelled to root for him but are happy to see him fail, it's a very, very complex stew here. Well, again, with the foreshadowing, they did not need to show us one uh, quick uh, shot of the little boy Fisk with the hammer soaked in blood, but they chose to do that. Again, the foreshadowing. And as we pivot here to Vanessa, I think it has to be asked because of the association in this episode, has Fisk chosen a maternal replacement? That's an interesting question, and I think that it it fits into what I was going to talk about anyway, so let me ironically meld the two, ironically, because I want to focus on this line of hers, we're all broken and we're meant to be with the person whose broken pieces fit yours. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think there's a certain beauty to that. Um, oh, the, this episode by Eric Olson was beautifully written. I'll talk a little bit more about that in our next segment, but go on. As for whether she is a mother figure, I think that I would be less inclined to go for that argument, if not for the inclusion of the young Fisk with the hammer. Um, I think as well, you know, the mother's implicit uh, acceptance of the murder that young Fisk uh, perpetrated, I think within the context of the story, there was a certain understandability. But all these years later, you know, Pete, we've spent time in prior episodes talking about how, you know, Dex does not like hearing that worst of words. No, we have Fisk who was somewhat enabled, again, I think with a different bag of uh, of acceptability, but enabled by his mother. Now, all these years later, what's the mini arc for Vanessa? It's that she goes from Lily White in morals to ready to be the, the number two kingpin, ready to be the queen pin, if you will, uh, when the episode has started. Is that kind of a motherly uh, acceptance or a motherly enabling? Yeah, maybe. 
I mean, the wedding dress cradling his head at the end of the episode and kissing him on the top of it as the cops are coming in, getting the blood on her uh, on her dress. Um, I, I think it's very, very clear what they're trying to imply. I think there's a lot to chew over in terms of theory space that we'll look in the in the next segment. Let's move it on, though, Matt. Dex. Dex, who, I mean, as you said, Pete, clearly insane by the time uh, he discovers Julie's body or in the moments thereafter, I think with that that buzzing um, that we have heard for a number Are of Are you referring to soft droning? <laughs> which is what the uh, which is what the subtitles uh, what the the closed captions repeatedly refer to it soft droning uh, it is those same drones and buzzes indeed I think that you know in the in the writers room in the producers meetings I think you could have made an argument that actual you know modified B buzzing or something similar I wondered if maybe it was kind of like you know violin lower strings that kind of thing but something that is very very evocative of insects buzzing bees buzzing the threat the 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 cloud of evil the cloud of insects that sort of thing then it might be a little too literal or a little too distracting but it ends up being this big kind of uh arrow pointing and saying he is slowly going insane and we see that for sure, when he, when he pulls on up with Julie's body, it's filmed in a way so you don't quite get that view right away. Director Sam Miller choosing some some choice angles there, um, but Dex is just clearly bonkers by by the middle of this episode. Between that, between uh, showing up at the wedding on stage, Daredevil suit, Julie and I want to wish you the best before throwing the microphone. Um, for a presumptive kill shot at uh, Fisk. Um, Wilson Bethel just clearly marinates in this madness. I think it's a respectful take. Um, We've talked a lot about the mental illness that Benjamin Poindexter seems to suffer from this season, apart from, you know, some really you know, short-sighted worldviews. Um, but I think this is in keeping with the character and it doesn't belittle um, people who might suffer from mental illness. Pete, I appreciate that there is no redemptive arc given to Dex. Um, I, I'll say that even in the in the totality of the episode, and we are going to talk about a particular Dex scene shortly, but... Uh, I like that it's just the conclusion of the narrative is nope descent into madness because what what was wobbling now has fallen over the end. Well, I think when Matt calls him up and they have that discussion, it's clear he is irredeemable. When you killed those birdies, when uh, you've killed other people, you like it. He he knows he's pushing buttons. I think obviously with. Matt choosing to pull back and to not kill Fisk, obviously signaling, you know, he's still there. His morality is intact um, that you leave um, Dex paralyzed before this final scene um, and that he would have done it 
if he had the opportunity. So I, I think they really deftly brought in all those loose ends, both from this season and prior seasons. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, perhaps a purpose for doing all that in a moment. Um, but really, really well done. It was. And I think that it, it is important to highlight, to highlight what you said in terms of the, the perspective of he it's not the worst thing in the world that he's out to kill Fisk at the end. I'm certainly not, you know, okaying murder and this, not the other, but he is ultimately taking his brand of evil and trying to take out the more evil person. But it's just through this filter of being completely unraveled in terms of his connection to reality. Yeah. And I think we further distance ourselves with this final scene which has wound up on our list of defendants matt it is pete at my request i said that final scene needs to be considered a villain and here's why pete willful suspension of disbelief and understanding how the narrative works and understanding that this is the end of a season but not the end of daredevil of all time regardless of whether there's a new season on netflix or in disney play or whatever it's perfectly fine Disney Plus, Disney Plus, Disney Play, Pete, all this breaking news, I can't quite handle it. Although, quick side note, uh, it's called ESPN Plus. And as somebody said online, uh, of course, it's called Disney Plus because the other thing's called ESPN Plus. Uh, Pete, what do you think the uh, bonus level of Hulu is going to be once the purchase is complete? Hulu Plus? Uh, I, I bet so. It actually might be a thing already. I don't know. But Pete, but I digress. The point is this. I understand why... Uh, mom and dad and Theo get a life goes on at the end because they're minor characters and who cares? They want to move to Tampa and Theo's going to run the shop. Fine. I understand why Matt essentially gets to return to the world of the living. Um, and I understand why now he's starting a, uh, a new in the legal uh, partnership with Foggy. And I understand why Foggy's leaving you know, the financially rewarding, and I'm sure in a large degree kind of ethically rewarding uh, experience of being a Midtown lawyer. And I understand why Karen now, who's gone from ace office assistant slash manager to ace uh, investigator and maybe one of the best newspaper writers in the entire city, is now going to shift to ace investigator because it's supposed to be these three in the in the thing. And I get why Fisk is going to be killed off, because Matt's not going to kill. And I get why Fisk is going to keep his mouth shut, because this might be the end of like the Fisk arc for forever, even if they do a zillion more seasons of Daredevil. And I get why Vanessa isn't going to say anything, because it's probably time for her to exit the story. But Pete, it's one straw on the camel's back too many to then say in the body of the narrative not after the credits to then say oh and the story continues for dex too who not only is going to have his story continue like everybody else thereby being a loose thread that risks undoing the entire bit of un essentially unresolved stuff though the story is resolved at the end of the season but pete we're also going to do it in the mask of he wakes up during heavy duty surgery you know like one does and sees a really comic booky bullseye effect on his uh cornea um yeah i think we're in complete agreement on this scene 
it's the most tone deaf decision made by this show this season, perhaps ever. Um, and that's with some, you know, largely acknowledged season two missteps. And, uh, yeah, it takes a wonderful episode and just brings it down, diminishes it just that much at the end. We would have been perfect at the end. Page, Murdoch, Nelson, huzzah. And then we have to do that thing. I mean, it's, it's loaded with nods. And again, we'll talk about that next, but I think it was a scene too far. We admire Jeff Loeb and we can, you know, all these different shows. And, and look, this is none of these shows are the Jeff Loeb hour where he's controlling everything, but we admire what he has created in Marvel TV. However, let's not forget that the Marvel TV playbook is modeled after the movie playbook down to some of these secret scenes at the end. And the reason that the post-credit scenes in the movies work is because there is that space. And the reason why, kind of more recently, let's say second half of Marvel films, why there'll be a mid-credit and an end-credit, usually the way that plays out is the mid-credit is like an extra, it's it's like an epilogue to the story that you just saw. And then after the credits are completely done, it's either a funny that's kind of connected or it's it, it, it truly is the last little bit of dessert. It's the last corner of the cookie from dessert as opposed to the mid-credit, which is a conclusion of the meal. It's the after-dinner drink or something like that. And, and there's a reason why those scenes don't appear in the body of the movie, even if it is just, and Ant-Man is victorious now seen where man is victorious but everybody dies like there's a reason why there's that space because you need it to say the end but the story continues whereas this says the end the story continues oh and more story continues yeah i i think everybody would have been better served just leaving decks i can't move taken away we want to pick up with him later if we get the opportunity to do that we do that instead now we have this thing hanging out there like a untucked shirt tail i'll even do you one better pete i think that there for the star trek discovery season one finale i suspect there's a longer edit i won't say better i was about to say better i suspect that there's a longer edit out there with slower pacing and you know and detmer gets a medal and awokashan gets a medal and they cho- chose to do something that was faster paced and, and tighter and that may have been the better choice but they had that scene spoiler alert with georgiou getting the offer of the black badge that did not fit that episode what did they do with it they released it online like three months later they could have done that for this too and they didn't I think it's a great comparison. I think it's something that, all right, it gets tongues a wagon. There's stuff to digest there, but it did not need to be in the body of this narrative. Your Honor, may I approach the May I approach the bench? It's time to step aside and approach the bench to discuss some off-the-record theories. You be the judge. 
repeat gun to your head or microphone thrown at your head. I don't know which is worse. <laughs> Do we see a renewal for Daredevil uh, between now and the end of the calendar year? Listen, uh, you know, I, I think of all these shows, my identification with Matt as a as a Catholic is the strongest. So I'm going to say a prayer here. God, I hope so. Matt, I hope so. Um, I'm a little concerned about some reports in some corners that the uh, the the traffic, the chatter, if you will, about Daredevil season three is is down, is below other levels. Um, I don't think people who are writing those reports also understand that uh, a show gets an audience, it finds its maximum audience at some point. And then that audience dwindles over time on and on and on and on. See, I don't know, The Walking Dead in season nine, perhaps. Um, should we get nine seasons of Daredevil? I don't know that there's that much story space to explore. Um, I think three here has proven to be ample if this is it. And I, I think we have to have this discussion here. Um but I would certainly look forward to more and please make Eric Olson and his creative team part of that. Well, bring, bring, hey, Pete, on the phone, I have Jeff Loeb. He just said Eric Olson passed on season three. I'm making this up to set up a theory question. Uh, Eric Olson passed on season four, pardon me. Uh, Pete, uh, Jeff Loeb wants you to showrun season four. Do you bring can, back? Can uh, I get a regular writer's room gig before I'm showrunning a show? Well, uh, Pete, listen, uh, a couple other people passed on it because they could see, sense the uh, the Netflix buzzards over it. So but the good news yeah. is you've been promoted. Um, do Does showrunner Pete include Fisk at all in season four? As long as the luminous Vincent D'Onofrio wants to perform this character, we will make space for him. How about Vanessa in season four? I think, and you know, I could be completely wrong, but I think they have two plans. One was sold with a look here. Um, she's cuffed. She's thrown into a different cop car. Um, and she looked at him like, Ugh, I'm with you. Um, so, you know, the, the fragile, uh, truce you've created between Fisk and, uh, Matt Murdoch could be undone by her leaving him. Then the dogs can get called on or Matt, because we're told, not explained, told at the end of this episode, she's gone free. Um, it frees her up to control things from the outside. Lastly, Pete, is showrunner Pete feeling uh, that his hands are tied because now we've set up hashtag bullseye begins and now we need to do a bullseye storyline in season four, don't we? <sighs> um, I think he's proven um, an apt enough character to continue to explore, but I would be really, really cautious in how they would do this. If, if that end scene is an indication of how like 
late 90s, early 2000s superhero take they're going to get on it, I don't think it fits in with everything else that we've gotten. Um, When you consider, Matt, we went this entire season. We have now had more of Daredevil as a series of him wearing the black suit than wearing the red suit. I think that's a pretty interesting way to look at things. Um, And as I was getting ready to podcast today and going back and looking at a couple scenes to be able to talk about it, um, wondering too, like, okay, would they, would they go with the yellow suit? Would they, would they do something like that for, for a fourth season? I think there are still intriguing questions to be asked about this. And I think that's why it should and can come back. Um, but I'm really concerned about how they might handle, um, decks moving forward and that's with all the great work they did this season it'll be really really interesting to see because for all the love i have for the jessica jones series and for the character uh this was a better sequel season uh daredevil season three than jessica jones season two was uh we'll see in 2019 what jessica jones season three has to offer but you know, this is the best sequel season. This is maybe the best season of Marvel Netflix. I think I could, I would feel comfortable in, in stating that as an opinion. Um, then you look at all this Netflix stuff that that continues to swirl. Um, how you know has Netflix gotten its money's worth, and are they ready to leave even this the the undoubtedly best viewed, et cetera, et cetera? You know, has the value left? I don't know. I mean, only Netflix knows, but I don't know. You kind of get the sense it could, or then, you know, then there's counter corporate intrigue. You know, do they order another season just to screw Disney plus so they can't do a defenders reunion and like, it's kind of these layers and layers and layers. The saddest part is at the center of all those layers is a fantastic season of TV. Yeah, I do not think this is ticketed for Disney Plus. I I think it's too raw for what they've repeatedly said in public that they don't intend to offer anything above a certain rating. Um, you know what? Let me amend what I said slightly. I did say Disney Plus, and I meant it. I while I did mean it literally, I think my intent or my subconscious intent was more bring it over to the Disney side of things. So let me amend what I said and say, do they bring over Daredevil season four to Hulu? You know, again, there's a little corporate intrigue there of how much control does a majority get if there's minority veto votes and blah, blah, blah. That is really boring and really kind of mysterious even to the the trade press. But let's say Disney can carry through. You know, did they do a season four in Hulu? Eh, not the worst idea in the world. No, I'm, I will take it anywhere they're going to give it to us. Um, I, I think you don't sacrifice your standards and this season has set such a high bar to think, all right, we're going to bring it to Disney plus and play up the comic booky bullseye thing. And now he has ring vision and suddenly, you know, Matt and foggy and Karen don't ever go to a bar anymore. And it's not called hell's kitchen. It's called heaven's cookbook or whatever <laughs> like, there actually there is there is an attempt 
but we've seen all the building that's gone on in Hell's Kitchen in the last four or mm-hmm. five years. Mm-hmm. There is an honest goodness attempt, like that that building endeavor. Oh, I know. There's a there's a there's a cute name like the, name. Like yeah, the yeah, Dockside yeah. Yards, or I'll, I'll see if I can find out what it is. But it's something that's kind of like you know East Side Docks or something like that. That's a little bit more like Welcome Home. Yeah, uh, don't like it. <laughs> we need the grittiness of of Hell's Kitchen uh, for certain, um, and I just think it's it's not the direction we want to go. Uh, Matt, let's talk about Julie for a second. Another Netflix show had another redheaded character taken from us far too soon. Season two of Stranger Things was supposed to bring us justice for Barb. It really didn't. They mentioned her a couple times and that's it. Can we start here? The movement hashtag justice for Julie. That, well, first of all, Pete, I have so many mixed emotions because I think I'm the only person in the world who disliked um, uh, Stranger Things season two more than I liked it. Uh, That's not to say that it was complete garbage, but, you know, it was like 55% thumbs down, 45% thumbs up. Um, But I digress. But anyway. (laughs) You also have me wondering, Pete, is there some sort of Netflix bias against redheaded women i which uh, is very i don't know there's all sorts of confusion going on in my heart right now pete i will say as a quick tangent hudson yards is there the the newer yeah. part of hell's kitchen hudson hell's yards kitchen. it's hell's uh, kitchen <laughs> absolutely it's hell's kitchen um but i mean justice for julie here's the thing i dug the character but i don't think that the character connected the way barb did i also don't think that there was necessarily that tragic arc to her um here's the flip side pete what if we did because listen disney plus and i do mean disney plus this time not hulu uh they're doing all these uh all these prequels and all these whatever how about the julie prequel where she's like by day she works at the uh queen's suicide hotline at night she exercises and go for goes for runs along the gwb or whatever it was what do you say? That could make a six episode limited series, huh? I just I was just hoping they could, you know, say we got the guy who killed her in, in Fisk and, you know, she had been stalked by, uh, you know, a, a potential paramour and, and just kind of give it the rest. Instead, you know, the body gets used as a prop. I think that. Upon closer inspection, or let me back up. Let me not get as close with my inspection quite yet. You watch this episode the once or you rewatch it and it's a rollicking adventure. And the people that we care about most, uh, Foggy, Matt, Karen, Fisk, that all gets wrapped up satisfactorily in a way that makes sense, in a way that's honest to all the characters. Then you look a little closer and you go, boy, they tied off a whole bunch of things with like, and happily, the adventure continues, which, you know, again, as I laid out before, I was genuine. I mean, it makes sense for all those characters, except for Dex, to get, and the adventure continues in prison or at the law office or leaving the paper and becoming an investigator or Tampa or the ma- the meat shop, whatever it is. Then you kind of say, oh, they didn't really wrap up 
like the Julie thing, like I guess kind of by implication, but completely off screen. Certainly they didn't emotionally wrap it up. Then it's kind of like, oh, good news. Sister Maggie's going to be the new Lantum where she helps. Will you be my mom? Eh? Mom? <laughs> mom, will you? Uh, I, I don't know, Matthew. Will you be See my you sister, mom? Four. Yeah. So, you know, so it's like, oh, well, that's kind of unresolved. Then while you're looking a bit closer, and again, I'm not saying it's necessarily unreasonable at the end of this season, but kind of the, uh, oh, and uh, Nadim's boss lived because she got hit in the head by the thing, which means now she can flip on the FBI, FBI clean. And, um, oh, because other FBI people have flipped, uh, Mahoney clean, everybody safe, New York, NYPD, yay, FBI better all off screen except for when Mahoney says we got him and so there's kind of like you can see I won't even say hand of the writer you can see Pinocchio's strings in this episode if you look a bit closer and that takes away some of the shine it, it does it does not nearly as much it does in our discussion it, it doesn't upon the watch um, other than that brutal bullseye tag at the end there. Um, you mentioned the FBI. Foggy talks about how they're getting an enema here. Uh, certainly, See, Pete, it's all taken care of. The story said so. Certainly clean you out. Okay. <laughs> um, here's my question. Although it, it doesn't, if, if they had, obviously it doesn't bring us the dark deliciousness of this season. But should not the FBI law enforcement, etc., have expected Fisk to corrupt the system? I mean, look what he did before he went in. I think that at the end of the day, you are absolutely correct. And we get a little of that this season. You know, when Nadim is first sniffing around and Hatley says no, then he has more evidence. She says, oh, okay, you know, at least in that you know, without the knowledge of where Hatley is up to, I think that's the opportunity to go, oh, okay. Well, I mean, you're obviously asking me for the bad, you know, bad guy got a bad guy, but here's kind of the the loyal opposition story-wise. Does it strain credulity only if you're lining up a list of the other things that also strain credulity, which we've done and I think is all legit? Again, I think kind of, I'm sympathetic to the fact that they need to wrap up all these things in a certain way, and it's pretty dumb to go, uh, okay, we're going to forever write Vincent D'Onofrio out as a real character. I don't know, kill him off, and maybe like he comes back in Matt's dreams again or something. But you know, I understand the, I understand each individual bit, but it takes away from the narrative of this episode and kind of sort of the season just a little bit as a whole. Well, we're going to do a, a separate season three uh, podcast and we'll really dig into some of that stuff. But now that I'm thinking about it, like the scene where Hatley denies um, Nadim the promotion early on, that undoubtedly occurs after her daughter's murder. Uh, she's she's dirty and she's denying him all part of the targeting of Fisk to get him uh, outside of prison and into this hotel where he can exact his uh, plan. So 
it it plays going forward better than it does looking back um, on on what happened. Uh, but again, to to see where this season, you know, if you would have told me that Ray Nadim would have this gigantic tragic arc when we were at New York Comic Con, I would have never believed it. And to be able to see it all play out and, and Jay Ali just did a tremendous job. You know, we talk about D'Onofrio and we talk about Charlie Cox and Demarand Wall. Can we can we give Jay Ali some props for a minute here? Thank goodness he got to appear in this episode because thank goodness, Matt, you can send you can airdrop everybody a dying declaration at a wedding. Right. <laughs> um, again, in the course of the narrative, just by itself, what's my response? My response is, I think narratively, they kind of fast forwarded over, Brump, you have a text. Oh my goodness, you have to see this. Click, switch from messages app to YouTube app, loading, loading. What's this called? Let me watch it. Like, I kind of, I assumed that's what was going on, that everybody was kind of clicking through to it and getting there across YouTube or shared files or whatever. And that's fine in and of itself, but we're all looking at all these other little things where the episode is saying, while you're there, can I have one more drop of blood? Because uh, nobody really pays for it in this episode, except Fisk promises he's not going to say anything, which is only as good until we want to undo it. And 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 Vanessa's both guilty and innocent, and Dex is both out of the picture and not. And it just kind of has a little bit of a, I don't know, of an impact here. I'll say this, though, specifically focusing on JLE. I mean, fantastic performance out of him. We live in this age, Pete, where it, it, it's I'm sure it can I'm sure it will continue to be for for, you know, into the future. It'll be challenging for non-white actors finding, you know, kind of like, how do I stop playing just my stereotype of what I look like and get into real meaty roles? The flip side is there's more, you know, options now than there have been in the past. You look at JLE's uh, resume, you know, there's a Hassan, there's an Omar, you know, things like that. There's Crown Prince Sheikh Abu. Um, but there's also this entire season where, I mean, fine, because his family members are Indian, there's some reference to the language, you know, the, 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 his native tongue, and uh, Seema's going to escape to India and things like that. But this is as every man uh, a role as you could get. And they got J.I.L.E. for this, and this was not like a, a really interesting education in what it's like to be an Indian American. This was, you know, Agent Nadim, good guy, like we all want to be good guys. Simple as that, and ton of credit to the people behind the role and certainly J.I.L.E. executing it. Yeah, and I, I don't want people to perceive us nitpicking this episode or this season. I, I think it was tremendously successful in what they set out to do. And, uh, you know, there's a couple things here and it, it's part of what we do at fantastic geek that, you know, we're, we're not just going to tell you this, this is wonderful. And you should tell us how wonderful it is too. And, but to, to really have this dialogue and to look at things as a whole and in part, um, Matt, uh, a quickie from me, the microphone, would it have killed Fisk? Uh, I mean, I'm no, neurosurgeon or brain doctor as some people might say <laughs> but I, I do i kind of have a hard time believing that 
most microphones thrown to the head are going to kill you. It went to his. It went towards his chest. Did it? Uh, then I yeah. feel well. Yeah. Uh, okay. Would it have? Would it have impaled him? Or like I don't know. There's that spot. Uh, look, we can all feel it right now if you want. That spot that's right above your rib cage, but right beneath the hardness of your throat, like that little soft area. Yeah, I could say if you are a bullseye and on the short end of the microphone, if it hits it there with a full throw, yeah, you're probably going to bleed out before they can fix that. Um, I'll say better. Plus, if you're bullseye, what are your options in your hand? You have that and what else? Nothing. I'd say that you you have a at least a 50% chance of mortal injury. There's three scenes that really, you know, pull this episode together but perhaps none finer than the discussion between Matt and sister Maggie before the funeral. And I think the funeral is another high point. Um, but the discussion of the tapestry and Matt talking about what father Lansom told him about God's plan being like a tapestry where we can only see the back of it. We can never see, uh, you know, it's true interconnected nature. Um, I just wanted to point that out as a, a, a awe-worthy piece of writing. And uh, Eric Olson, as a writer, earned a fan um, the moment I heard that. Yeah, it certainly is. It's a well-emoted scene, well-emoted bit of dialogue. But it's also something that's so incredibly concise that you go, oh, so that's how the enduring nature of God's multiverse works like a tapestry. Got it. And it's like, you completely understand the metaphor for this thing, which is by definition difficult to, you know, not even difficult. It is impossible for the human mind to comprehend, but you get a little glimpse of which way the wind is blowing with that, with that tapestry metaphor and uh, well done indeed. Rosalie Carbone here played by the great uh, Annabella Siora. We've seen her in uh, Luke Cage. We've seen her a little bit more in this season. Will we see her where she's always been linked in The Punisher for season two? Uh, first of all, I'm glad. I don't, I, I don't think I've clicked on her IMDb or the, anything that might have spoiled that. I mean, it would make sense, particularly Pete, since usually Marvel Netflix has a connective tissue, uh-huh. and I'm just not talking about, you know, your Captain What's-His-Names or your Brett Mahoney or whatever, and we'll get to that gripe in a moment, but it would certainly make sense if that's their, if that's their desire to add some more of that connective tissue beyond the yuck, that would make a ton of sense. Let's talk about cognium steel for a moment shall we um sure what's cognium steel oh i'm glad you asked matt cognium steel is not adamantium adamantium oh where do they reference cognium steel that is in the brutal tag scene at the end of this episode oh Uh, the cognium steam steam <laughs> might as well be steam the cognium is that because they're blowing it up or you know what <laughs> possibly and listen it's it's right out of the comics but it's you know we we know of the the corporate issues they can't say adamantium they can't say mm, the m word um so cognium steam <laughs> there we go again <laughs> cognium steel 
is not adamantium, adamantium, this reinforcing framework that Dr. Oyama, you know Dr. Oyama, right, Matt? Oh, absolutely. He, he, he does all sorts of spinal <laughs> fixes that sometimes you can't fix, but maybe you can keep going. Well, Dr. Oyama is the civilian persona of another baddie that Bullseye ultimately comes into the service of. You know Lord Darkwind, don't you? <laughs> That's not real. That's a hundred percent real. I'm not Dark making wind. I'm not making it up at all. I just typed in Lord Dark Wing. How's that for a blast from the past? What? I mean, uh, what? This makes it even more dumb, Pete. Because if we were discussing the sweet little nugget, uh, which was the after credits scene, which, not to return to that overly, but since there's only been the one, right? And that was like the preview of Luke Cage, um, the one post credit scene. I wonder if maybe that's just like Netflix hereby decrees. We don't do that because we see and the And that wasn't of... even a post credit scene. That was, hey, here's a quick hit trailer for Luke Cage. Well, but it auto-played. It was technologically a post credit scene in that well, if you the, watched and all the credits. There was there was one at the end of Iron Fist for Daredevil season three. Oh yeah. So okay, I mean they've done it the twice. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if that was data driven or if that was whatever, but this is the confusion that this scene gives us and gives us brings us Lord Dark Wind, which is no relation to Darkwing Duck. But Pete, let's move on. We've been using our enhanced senses to monitor the frequencies. Here's what you had to say. Pete, what feedback are we getting over there on the old Facebook? To the Fantastic Geek Facebook page, Matt John Stewart points out, I believe as a result of maybe some uh, jokiness or a lack of clarity in your recap otherwise uh well done for the uh episode 310 karen the drinking game thing karen helped with is called a booze luge uh indeed pete i had expressed some confusion on behalf of both of us as to what goes on at those crazy college parties they didn't uh, let me in, man. That's what what happened. They wouldn't allow me in there. I didn't go. <laughs> Pete, that's because they knew uh, that you'd take all the ladies and leave all the fellows without any without anything to drink. Hey, twenty one and over only. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, yeah, a little bit a little bit of uh, uh, of ignorance professed at uh, at the expense of ourselves being the butt of the joke. Pete, I promise the next time I see a booze luge. I will uh, take a shot with Karen Page. <laughs> Robert T. Frost adds, here's a link from CBR.com from March 29th, 2018 about location filming for Fagan Corners. Matt found the town as Wyndham, New York. The article says Hudson, New York. But seeing as the towns are only 30 minutes apart, six of one, half dozen of the other, both are roughly three and a half hours north of Manhattan. Yeah, it was definitely neat to to see that. Uh, sure enough, they had they had taken to lower upstate New York. That is how you say it properly, right, Pete? Lower upstate. I just know it as upstate. 
Oh, okay. Well, then upstate New York, which is everything that's not New York City and Long yes, Island, basically. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it was it was interesting to read too some of those some of those teensy, you know, like little kind of you know town news blog kind of things that were like, it's reported that someone was talking to someone involved with the production at Smith's Bar the other night, and they're filming episode three hundred eight. All right, it was 310 or 309, it was 310. But it, it was neat to kind of see in retrospect how some of these, you know, small small towns were like, oh my goodness, the TV show, the circus has come to town and they're filming a car crash and the stars are here and all of that. Thank goodness for daredevilpatch.com. <laughs> Indeed, Pete. Well, there might be ads on daredevil.patch.com, Pete, but we are able to remain listener-supported by everyone who visits patreon.com slash fantasticgeek. Yes, we have our own fandom corners, Vermont, there, Matt. And there's all sorts of zip codes you can choose to live in. You can be moving on up with the, the Jeffersons over there by uh, Penny's Place Diner, or you could live out in the quarry with that dirtbag Todd. <laughs> wow, Pete. Well, certainly we appreciate the, the support of all in the fantastic geek community. And they are solid in the knowledge, Pete, that it's always free to talk to you on Twitter. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-10,148 followers can't be wrong and while i'm personally on twitter as looking back lost do be in touch with the podcast comment on fantasticgeek.com check us out on twitter instagram and gmail where we are fantastic geek as well but wait there's more facebook.com slash fantastic geek all one word with the ph add it to your social media profile today well, Pete, in just a couple of days, we will be talking the conclusion of Season 3, looking back at the entire season as a whole. So do certainly share your thoughts with us in the ways that we just discussed. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final 313 word. No prison can keep me. You know that. <laughs>